turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. We're back in Ephesians chapter 5, looking at some of the practical outworkings of marriage and how it all relates to our union in Christ. Join us for What is a Godly Marriage? Next, here on Abounding Grace. So marriage is to be between a man and a woman. That's established in Genesis 1. As we continue to understand what a godly marriage is all about, it's great to go back to Ephesians 5 to see the furtherance of this. Why is it between a man and a woman? Well, we see the mystery of Christ and the church wrapped up in all of this. Welcome to Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. We're looking at Ephesians 5, verses 18 through 33 today as our series, What is a Godly Marriage?, continues. Here's Pastor Gary Wagner with today's broadcast. Here you have the second responsibility of a woman if she's going to have a normal marriage, loving reverence. The first is loving submission, and the second, she is to reverence her husband. Now, What does the Greek word for reverence denote? It denotes reverential free uh, fear that manifests itself in reverential obedience. Reverential includes adoration and respect that leads to obedience. You reverence God, and so you obey Him. There is no other command laid upon us more times in Scripture than the command to fear God. We are told to fear our heavenly king. And wives are told to fear their husbands. That is, to have a reverence and adoration that leads to a heartfelt obedience. Now, there are, of course, all kinds of fear. And I'm sure you realize that. The Bible speaks of a fear that torments or a fear that scares you to death. But obviously, that is not the fear that is here mentioned in the 33rd verse when it says a woman is to fear her husband. When a wife is directed to fear or reverence her husband, it doesn't mean she should be afraid of him. Because a husband of whom his wife is afraid is a pervert. Is your wife afraid of you men? If she is, it is a wicked thing on your part. Rather, in fearing her husband, she is to treat him with deference. Or with loving respect. That is with compliance and submission instead of insolence and irreverence and discourtesy or disrespect. She is to keep in mind as she thinks about living with her husband. The whole biblical pattern of things and that is to determine how she relates to him. The deference she formerly gave to her parents when she was a young woman, she now gives to her husband. That's the point of Psalm 45.10. A daughter is called upon to give herself in fear to her king. 
And it says in giving herself in fear to her king, she is first, quote, to forget her people and to forget her father's house. In Genesis 2, the man is commanded by God to leave his father and his mother and to cleave to his wife. Yes, and in Psalm 45, the wife is commanded to forget her own people and her own husband's wife and to reverence her husband. Now, obviously, neither one of these is absolute, as I said last week. I mean, a man is not absolutely to leave his parents and never return. A woman is not to absolutely forget. There is some hyperbole here. But the point is that there is a clear-cut decision that is made. And this woman separates herself from these various other human allegiances and makes the one with her husband superior to all others because she fears her husband. She reveres her husband. There is an adoration a reverence and submission. Now let me ask you a silly little question. With what part of your body do you reverence your husband? You don't use any part of your body. It is an inward attitude that will show itself in a certain way. Reverence is not something on the outside. Reverence is something you feel and experience deep inside. And without that inner attitude of reverence toward your husband, you will never, never show respect toward him. Or if you do, it will be extremely difficult and completely hypocritical. A wife is not reverencing her husband if she defers to him only externally and not gladly and willingly or contentedly from the heart. Therefore, the godly wife is to guard her heart and her thoughts and her whole inner life. She must render her thoughts and goals and desires to God and his word. And then to think reverently about her husband. Not allowing herself to fall into the habit that dominates most women in our culture, as well as men. To dwell on his failures and his weaknesses and his sins. She is to think reverent thoughts about him, not because he is perfect, but because of all the men in this world that you could have had, dear sisters. God chose the one you've got to be your head because God had purposed for you that no other man could help you be holy and blameless effectively as he could. But you might say, You don't know what kind of husband I really have. I I don't. But God does. And he is the one who said these things. Even with the weaknesses he has, and out of all the men you could have had, this is the one man God wants you to have. And because of that, you are to reverence him, not because he deserves it, because he certainly does not but because God is worth it and God deserves it and God commands it. You ask, well, how does a woman then get this inward attitude of reverence in her husband, especially when the husband is a pathetic sinner? Well, she must be a woman who, above all else, fears the Lord. Because if she does not fear the Lord, she will not reverence her husband. 
Her reverential fear for her husband flows out of her reverential fear for her Lord and her Savior who gave her her husband to represent him in her in life. Proverbs says about you ladies, charm is deceitful, beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord shall be praised. 2 Corinthians 7.1 says, For having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of the Lord. That is the motive for everything, beloved. Your fear for your husband, your reverence of him, is to look a little like your reverence and your fear for the living God. The Bible says the fear of God is always accompanied by trust in God. 73.25 Whom I have in heaven but thee, whom have I in heaven but thee, and besides thee I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart. Fear for God is also accompanied with great joy and a sense of security in the Lord. Psalm 2.11 Worship the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. The fear of God is accompanied with true humility, a true sense of dependence upon God, and surrender to Him. Paul said in Romans 11, You stand by your faith. Do not be conceited, but fear, for if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will He spare you. Behold then the kindness and severity of God. And in fearing God and fearing your husband, a godly wife hates all sin in herself that disrupts that relationship with her husband. Proverbs 8.13 says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverted mouth I hate. When you fear the Lord, you hate anything in yourself that disrupts your relationship with God or your husband. Therefore, the normal Christian wife is diligent and constant in repenting and avoiding all the sin she can in her life. Proverbs 16.6 says, By the fear of the Lord, one keeps away from evil. So what does reverencing your husband mean? It means you are going to be careful, dear sister, not to offend by sinning toward either God or your husband. Not because you are afraid of evil, but because you fear both God and your husband for the role of the husband. That we will spend most of the week next, that we will spend most of the sermon on next week. What is the role of a husband in a normal Christian marriage? The husband is called to a specific role that we find in our passage as a loving, self-sacrificing head of a marriage. As the head of a marriage, the burden of the peace, purity, security, and prosperity of the family falls primarily on his shoulders. It is primarily his responsibility to govern and manage affairs of the household according to God's word and for God's glory. He is to love his wife as Christ loves the church. He is to lead his wife as Christ leads us by serving her and laying down his life for her. For after all, Mark 10.45 says, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. He leads not by being a dictator, but by being a servant. 
instead of living for himself. He is to nourish and cherish his own wife just as he does his own body. He is responsible for his wife's growth and grace and spiritual development. He is to give her wise biblical instruction and guidance. He must show her that he loves Christ more than he loves her. You know, I found through counseling married couples, men, that if a Christian woman is not convinced that her husband loves Jesus more than he loves his wife, he will never have a happy, secure life, wife on his hands. As long as she is in doubt, as long as she is not sure, As long as you neglect your spiritual duties toward her and your children, she was, she's going to have to wonder, well, is he really a Christian? And you will have a depressed and insecure woman. A godly woman must rest assured that though you love her with all your heart and soul and you love Christ even more than you love her. But, You don't convince her by saying, I do so. I do love Jesus more than I love you. Now, do tell her that every now and then, after you have told her how much you love and adore her, which you must assure her of often, men. But the point is to show her by the way you live your life. As the head of the marriage, the husband must lead the marriage into the future with great care and hope and optimism and planning. He is responsible for everything that happens in his home, whether he is at home or not. Nothing should go on in your family, brother, of which you are not aware and of which you do not approve. Many husbands and fathers in this area are completely out of the loop. However, the husband does not lead alone. He has a helpmeet suitable for him. He encourages his wife's talents and gifts and cherishes her counsel and her support. A good leader is a manager. He is a delegator. He doesn't forget that he is no longer single. He loves his wife more than his own body because she is bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. And whenever he hurts or neglects her, he hurts and neglects himself. Good leadership in the family means seeing that all the members of your family, especially your wife, are cared for physically, materially, socially, emotionally, intellectually, and spiritually. Making sure that all the members of your family, again, especially your wife, are being and doing what they are supposed to be and do as Christians. And brothers, the place where we as husbands fail the most particularly where our leadership in the home usually tends to break down, is where it should be the strongest. And that is being a leader in family worship and a leader in prayer and the leader in spiritual growth and development of your children. Where we should be the strongest is where we seem to be the most whippish. There are Christian men who profess to be Christians, even Reformed Christians, who have never led their families in family worship. And that is pathetic. There should be no man in this, this room who is not leading their family in family worship. 
The marriage is abnormal and it will show in their children and their wife. Your headship as a husband over your wife should be a reflection of Christ's headship over you and over his church. Listen to what Christian counselor Jay Adams said in his encouraging and simple little book in the Christian home. And this is said to you husbands. It is one thing for the wife to exemplify the church and its relationship to Christ. That relationship should be perfect, but we all know it is far from perfect. But the headship of Jesus Christ, in contrast to the faulty obedience of his church to him, is perfect. It is always perfect. It is always right. It is always wise. It always embodies all that God has commanded. And you, dear fellow husbands, must exemplify this perfect headship. And whenever we are imperfect, there is no excuse for it. This is the task God has laid on your shoulders. Your wife is to exemplify the relationship the church has with God, which is never perfect. But you are to illustrate the relationship of Christ to the church, which is always perfect. Oh yes, this is an enormous order to feel. And it is obvious That husbands need the Holy Spirit to be like Jesus Christ in the relationship with their wives. When we as husbands fail, not when we husbands fail, we not only fail our wives, but we fail to represent the Lord's love for us. When we fail to reflect the Lord in our marriages, we damage His name and we ruin His reputation. We must be heads in our families as Christ is the head of the church. Your headship in marriage over your wife must be a reflection of Christ's love of His church. And I will say much more about this next week. But in finishing up, Look what verse 25 says. Husband, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. The controlling principle in a husband's relationship with his wife is a Christ-like love for his wife. His leadership is going to be a leadership of love. And the love of a husband for his wife is to be the same in nature as the love of Christ for his bride. Even as Christ loved the church, it says. What an eloquent expression. He loved her unworthiness. He loved her in spite of her imperfections. She needs to be washed. She needs to be cleansed. He saw us in our rags, but he loved us. This is the height of the doctrine of salvation. He loved us not because of anything in us. He loved us in spite of what was in us while we were yet sinners. In spite of all of our unworthiness, he loved us. He loved the church, not because she was glorious and beautiful, but that he might make her such. And what that kind of, with that kind of love, we are to love our wives. Don't even think about whether she is worthy or not, men. A godly husband is one who longs for his wife's perfection as a Christian. 
He longs to be used of Christ to assist her in her growth toward Christian maturity. He earnestly prays that God will assist him in maturing himself as a Christian. And that God would assist him in encouraging the spiritual development of his beloved wife. And as I said earlier, it is at this point that husbands fail the most at encouraging and assisting the sanctification and purification of our wives and helping them move toward the day when they will stand before Christ without spot or wrinkle, holy and without blame. And brothers, in order to assist in the sanctification and spiritual growth of our wives, we must wisely use the Word of God ourselves. Because it is only the Word of God that has the power to change and to sanctify and to enrich and to empower. You and I are responsible and privileged to read the Bible, to study it with our wives, to teach it to them, to counsel them, to encourage them from that Word. Do you? This means that we are going to read, be reading, and studying the Bible ourselves. We are going to be praying for the power of the Bible to be expressed in our lives. And that means, dear brothers, to turn off the television. Get rid of the cable. Get rid of the the satellite, if necessary. And I am not joking here. All I know is that I have counseled a number of wives whose main complaint of their husband is, I just need my husband to turn off the TV or to stop spending so much time viewing all the negative news on the Internet and spend some time, even a little time, with me. Are you one of those husbands? Some of you are. Get rid of the television if you are that weak. Read the Word of God. Study it. Let her see you studying God's Word. As long as you are watching television or playing games on the computer, she is asking herself, is he really a Christian? And as long as she is asking herself, is he really a Christian? You will have an insecure wife and an abnormal marriage. Or maybe... You spend too much time on the Internet. There's not anything you shouldn't be willing to sacrifice for the happiness of your wife. And this goes for you ladies as well. Check yourselves as well. Are you watching too much television and spending too much time on the Internet, Facebook as well? We must think and live by the Word of God as husbands and wives. So by the example of our lives as well as by our verbal instruction, men, we will lead our wives into a closer walk with God and a more contented Christian life. Now there you have the basics of a normal Christian marriage. And yes, it's going to have rough edges. And it's going to have rocky places. But these are the basics. Now I ask you, beloved, is this what you want? If so, begin applying these truths that we have looked at today perseveringly in your marriage, day by day, in your relationship with God and in your relationship with your wife and with your husband. 
constantly pray that God will fill you with the Spirit and make the focus of everything you do to be my marriage is to be a picture of the relationship of Jesus Christ and His church. But someone may object to all of this saying, you're telling me that the kind of marriage you have just described is normal? I know of hardly anyone that has a marriage like this. And if that is your objection, I say to you, I agree with you entirely. So what? You continue to object. You're telling me that I, I have to have this kind of marriage when most people don't, and yet they appear to be fairly happy. No, beloved, I'm not telling you anything. Jesus is telling you what to do. Amen. And this is Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church of San Jose. As we conclude our time today, we invite you to reach out to us. Let us know the program encourages you as you take the time to join us as we study God's Word together. We'd love to hear from you. It means a great deal to us. It always does. 408-866-5607 is our phone number. Again, 408-866-5607. If you wish to visit us online, you'll be able to gather more information about us, who we are, what we believe, and where we meet. It's all found at reformedheritage.org. That's reformedheritage.org. You can also drop us an email there as well. We even have past messages available online that you can tap into freely at your convenience. Again, reformedheritage.org or call 408-866-5607. Now, normally, we would invite you to join us for worship, but because of the shelter-in-place orders, we are suspending our in-person worship services here at Abounding Grace and Reformed Heritage Church of San Jose. If you'd like to know more, again, call us at 408-866-5607 or visit our website, reformedheritage.org. And then we also invite you to write to us. If that is something you don't mind doing, picking up a pen and paper, we'd love to hear from you. You can write Abounding Grace, PMB 402, 1484 Pollard Road, and that's here in Los Gatos. The zip code is 95032. Thank you for spending time with us today. We look forward to hearing from you and looking forward to spending time with you in God's Word again here soon on Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. Mm-hmm.